from the heart of flyover country. He's not on the far right, and he's certainly not on the far left. Like you, he's somewhere in the middle. This is Dale Carter's America. Well, we are back with another exciting version of Dale Carter's America. Dale Carter with Kurt Wheeler. And uh, we were just talking about this before we rolled tape here on the podcast. Um, you get to a point in your life, Kurt, and I'm, I'm getting close to 60, right? I'm going to be 58 in September. When you start to look back over the arc of your life and decide if you, if you really want to explore it and maybe put it down on paper so that your kids and grandkids can look at it and uh, know who you were and mm-hmm. what you were all about. And I've come to that point. I've had in my head an autobiography of sorts, and I put it out on Facebook that I was going to do this, and apparently there might be some interest from listeners. I don't know. I mean, quite frankly, I'm writing it. It's entertaining me. I think it'll entertain my kids. Um, so I'm going to do it. I'm already two chapters into it. Oh, right on, man. Yep. I've gotten to the point where I am born, so okay. <laughs> then we're going to go from there. Yeah, that's the starting point, isn't it? Yeah. And you know my other half, Jennifer, she's like, what you probably ought to do is put together an outline of how you right. want to do this. Well, I've always had the first chapter in my mind. This book is going to start on March 1st, 2011, mm-hmm. which was the night I was inducted into the Country Radio Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So many different emotions going through me, both personal, professional. I was pulled in a lot of different ways. There was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that nobody knew about mm-hmm. uh, that would all come to light eventually. So that's where I want to start. And then I'm going to go to the very beginning and, and tie my family trees together. You know, I've traced them back as far as, you know, the 1700s oh, on nice. all four sides, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Um, and then after I did that, you know what I thought? I need an outline mm-hmm. to go forward here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, when the woman in your life tells you something, <laughs> you should probably listen. Yeah, that's a good strategy for writing in general. I've done a little bit of writing, but not too much. But uh yeah, that's that's a good way to start. I well, think. we'll see. You know, and if it comes to anything, I you know, we'll see if anybody wants to publish it. If not, I'll self-publish it and give copies to my kids. And yeah, well, you've got a big audience, man. I think I think there will be a lot of people out there that that will want to read it. So there's some interesting stuff. Yeah, no uh, doubt. Still to come, no doubt. Um, not nearly as interesting as Richard Branson, who is uh, now gone up to space. I saw that. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think it's cool. Um, I, I'm very excited about the expansion of private industry into space, like with SpaceX and yeah. Virgin and some of the other ones. There's the the one that, um, what's his name, the Amazon guy. Yeah, Bezos. Bezos, yeah. yeah. There's the one that you he's see, doing. That's what that's what's going to happen here. Branson has done it. He's gotten all the accolades, right? Mm-hmm. Bezos is going to do it next week, yeah. and it's going to be like, eh. Right. Yeah. So what? <laughs> yeah. It's already been done. Yeah. Yeah. But the prospect of being able to get on something, I don't know that I'm there because I barely like to fly anyway, but being able to get on something that goes into outer space and the practical use of that is if you wanted to go from New York to Tokyo, you could do it in like 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just, you know, in general, um, pushing the frontier, you know, I mean, the uh, humans are a an adventuring species. You know, we are an exploratory species. We've been that for our whole history. And so I think space is the is the next frontier of that. And I'm excited that it's not just the government or various governments that mm-hmm. are being involved in this, that, you know, private industry is uh, is taking their part. And I think that's going to make the whole process go by a lot faster. I mean, we're seeing that already with SpaceX, um, their their involvement in 
you know, the modern space race, if you want to call it that, has really sped everything up. So I think that's a good thing. Well, as a kid, you know, I grew up on Star Trek Mm -hmm. and, you know, space, the final frontier. Right. Right. Exactly. So I'm all in on it. I think it's very exciting. I'm not going to get on it myself. But I was going to say, you don't seem like a, yeah. you don't seem like the type that would get on a rocket ship. I'm not though. very adventurous. <laughs> I really am not. But my book is going to be awesome. It's going to be like a roller coaster ride. And once I write it, we're going to talk about it a lot on the podcast because okay. we have a growing audience here as well. Yes, we do. Okay. We do. Why is it the Biden administration? I mean, really? I mean, and I'm overusing this phrase a lot lately. But I don't know that I would trust these guys to run a hot dog stand, mm-hmm. much less the United States of America. Mm-hmm. They can't even take an easy layup. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the way back to the Cuban Revolution when Eisenhower was president, John F. Kennedy, LBJ, Democrats, Republicans alike. What has the goal of the United States been for Cuba? Well, uh, I would imagine it would be you know, making them not a communist country. Right. A yeah. free Cuba. Yeah. That has been the goal of Republicans and Democrats. And now it looks like it might be happening. Mm-hmm. People are on the streets in Havana. Protests are going on. Yet the Democrats can't seem to get their arms around it. Uh, the State Department being criticized over the weekend for a tweet that they put out. Julie Chung, the acting assistant secretary for the department's Bureau of Western Hemisphere of Affairs, posting, Peaceful pro- Wait, you haven't heard this yet, have you? No, I haven't. Peaceful protests are growing in Cuba as the Cuban people exercise their right to peaceful assembly to express concern about ro- rising COVID-19 case deaths and medicine shortage. That's why they're protesting. Do they really have a right to peacefully assemble in Cuba? Well, they don't. Uh, but th- but they're not protesting about COVID. Well, that's the yeah. that's the obvious one, I'm yeah. sure. I'm yeah. sure that's not the case, but Reports out of the country say protesters chanted freedom, enough, we want liberty, and critics of all this say COVID-19 seems to be on the periphery of the country's discontent. They are finally just fed up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Senator Marco Rubio from Florida called the tweet from the State Department ridiculous. Socialists like Bernie Sanders have been mum on this. They haven't said a word about it. And again, this is a layup. I mean, there's so much going wrong in the country right now. We see it in the news every day. Take the layup. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that they are going to take the layup because I'm not sure that for the left and the Democrats that uh, liberating Cuba is the goal anymore. I mean, look at what President Obama did when he was in office. You know, he went down to Cuba and met with Raul Castro right. and was all buddy-buddy with him. And we, we got nothing substantive out of it. I mean, right. they sort of like sort of kind of open up trade relations or, right. or what have you. But in terms of actual freedom for their people um, in terms of liberation, in terms of, you know, uh, stepping into the modern world, there was there was no uh, remotely close to discussion of that that happened. And, and they were all buddy buddy and everything like that. So I I really am not sure, certainly for people like Bernie Sanders. Right. I mean, Bernie Sanders is basically a communist. So, you know, I don't think he's going right. to go out of his way to criticize a communist government. In Cuba. I remember the picture that came out of that with uh, Barack Obama in awe of the big photo of Che Guevara mm-hmm. on the side of a building. Yeah. You know, who was basically a terrorist and killed people. Yeah. Um, so I take your point on that. And, and the bigger point, there are a lot of people out there who think that Biden's not really running this thing anyway. He's not really He's running not. the hot dog stand. Yeah. Um, it's Barack Obama behind the scenes because it's basically all of Obama's people. Well, I don't know. I mean, if it's literally Obama behind the scenes or, or what, but it's certainly clear that Biden is not in control. I mean, just looking at the way that he talks 
the way that he carries himself when he's out doing public events. I mean, there was a clip that went viral from last week. I don't know if you saw it, but he was uh, he was at some convenience store or something like that and being asked questions by people. And he's like fumbling through his words, not sure what he's talking about. And then he pulls out a note card and he's like, oh, let me check what they told me to say. Uh, with the most recent hack by the Russians, would you say that this this means We're that... We're not sure it's the Russians. I got a brief and uh, uh, I'll be in better shape to talk to you about it. I'll tell you what they sent me. The idea, first of all, we're not sure who it is for certain, number one. And what I did, I directed the full resources of the, of the government to assist in a response. And it's like, wait a second, who's they? I thought, uh, you, were, I thought you were the president. Well, we keep you know? hearing these stories. And a friend of mine said, go back and look at a video from Joe Biden three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Compare it with where he is today. Yeah. And then know that it's not getting better. It's, it's getting worse. Oh, it's and these getting things much don't worse. Get, yeah. They don't get better. And we've got another three and a half years of this. Yeah. I mean, dementia doesn't just magically go away. Yeah. If that is indeed what's happening to him. I mean, not I believe. Not that we're doctors making, you know, a diagnosis of the president. Because somebody hit me up on that. Whoa, you're a doctor now? Um, <laughs> I mean, no, I'm, I'm not, not a doctor, but no. I have two eyes and, and you got ears. two ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've got the requisite set to basically see what's going on here. Yeah. And uh, and the Cuba thing, you know, uh, you, you brought up uh, Che Guevara, too. And I think that's another great point. I mean... Look at the the left's idolization of Che. I'm, right. uh, he's all over T-shirts and posters. I mean, I have a friend that has a flag of Che Guevara in his bedroom, and we got into an argument about it one night. There may have been some uh, liquid courage involved, I will say. But, you know, it's like this this guy is idolized as a revolutionary hero. Meanwhile, he was a mass murderer, right. uh, personally oversaw thousands of of executions was super anti-gay was a serial rapist and and the rest of it so i don't think they really uh care about the liberation of of cuba at least not like we used to like you said all-star game will be in uh, denver colorado and and anyone who owns a business in georgia especially the black owned businesses in georgia you're going to lose out on revenue because major league baseball bought into the lie that the georgia election law was Jim Crow on steroids, mm-hmm. or Jim Eagle? As Jim Eagle, President yeah. <laughs> Biden. We had some fun with that a while back. Uh, but the true consequences of that action are that Atlanta is going to miss out on millions and millions of dollars from having the All Star Game. I mean, look—you weren't here then, but we had the All Star Game in Kansas City years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, the economic impact was massive. Yeah. So now you're going to take it out of a majority minority city, which mm-hmm. is Atlanta, and you're going to move it to white bread, Denver, Colorado, yep. and Denver's going to reap the rewards. Yep. I, w- I, w- I was just in Denver about three weeks a month ago, and it is a very white city. So <laughs> and it's you're a li- welcome for that, I guess. It's a lie. The <laughs> yeah. whole thing was oh, a lie. Uh, yeah. And we, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this uh, podcast, and we're going to get into some lies here in a minute, but just know that the All-Star Game uh, will be in Denver tomorrow. We're recording this, obviously, on Monday. Something that I saw last week that I wanted to mention here briefly 
And again, our wire service at KFKF is written by the fine folks at NBC News. And so I give the news on the morning show four times during the show, mm-hmm. 5, 30, 6, 7, and 8. And there are many times I have to rewrite their wire copy because mm-hmm. it's so biased and it's so slanted. Mm-hmm. And last week, the jobs report showed that there was an uptick a significant uptick, more than what the experts thought, of first-time applications for unemployment. And the wire copy said it's a signal that the job market is slowing down. Right. <laughs> the, I mean, let that you know sink into your brain for a second. The job market is slowing down. Yet every other ad that we run on the radio station, you can't go anywhere without seeing signs in front of major employers uh, who want people to come back. Worlds of Fun is not open every day during the summer. Mm-hmm. You have to make an appointment to go to Oceans of Fun so they can make sure they can scare up enough people to work it. Mm-hmm. Um, the job market is not slowing down. Yeah, We still have you know these idiots in D.C. Maybe they're not idiots. Maybe they're useful idiots. There could be a reason for all this. Who will not put an end to this COVID relief additional funding that's paying people more than they would make in the, in the working economy. So why wouldn't you? If you can make more sitting on your ass playing a video game, why wouldn't you? Yeah. And for our mainstream liberal institutions, particularly the media, it's anything to absolve responsibility for people not going out and getting a job. It's any excuse not to say people just don't want to work, which is obviously what's happening, you know? And so, yeah, the, that's a, that's a, clear deflection, I believe, on their part. All right. Well, again, the bias that comes from uh, our friends at NBC who write the news for KFKF, just know that I'm in there working it every day and reworking it every day and trying to come out with something that is, you know, uh, resembles the truth. That's what we're doing. And that's what we try and do on this podcast. And we're going to hit both sides before we get to the main topic today, which is critical race theory. And Kurt has a lot of expertise on it. There's there's more that we're going to talk about here to set things straight on both sides of the aisle, but I'm still, you know, poking the Democrats right now. As we are recording this, Joe Biden is meeting at the White House with big city police chiefs and mayors about all the violence going on in our cities, including Kansas City. I don't know if Quentin Lucas is there or not, but can you imagine that meeting going on? And maybe it's starting with, hey guys, whatever we're doing is not working. I would hope that it's starting with that. I mean, you know, we, we try and give uh, President Biden the, the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. And, and the fact that he is uh, that he is having a meeting about this issue and, and acknowledges that it's an issue, I think that's an important first step. But, um, yeah, I don't really have much faith that we're going to be going in the right direction. Well, I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast, what the right direction is, and that's a vigorous enforcement mm-hmm. of laws that are already on the books yeah. and and stop letting criminals back on the street. I yep. mean, Rick Smith, the police chief in Kansas City, would probably tell you that one of their big issues is they keep arresting the same people over yep. and over again. Yep. Put them away for crying yeah. out loud. I mean, recidivism rates for violent crime is in like the 70 to 80 percent in, in some cities. So that means that 70 to 80 percent of people that get out of jail after committing a violent crime, get go back to jail for committing another crime. Well, and part of our job here, I think, on this podcast from the very beginning is to set the record straight in the face of lies. And I don't see how the Democrats can keep a straight face. I guess they can because they're politicians, and politicians of both sides, Republicans and Democrats, uh, lie as easily as they breathe. Mm-hmm. And, that, I mean, that goes all the way back. But some of these lies are just, my God, 
you know, now they're saying that it was actually the Republicans who were in favor of defund the police. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can you, I mean, talk about the hot dog stand. I mean, it makes you want to choke on a hot dog, for crying out loud. I saw a guy with a straight face go on one of the Sunday morning shows and say that because Republicans did not vote for Joe Biden's massive bill that would have given all kinds of goodies to localities, Mm -hmm. that meant that Republicans were defunding the police. Yep. Not even closely resembling the truth. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's an obvious spin job, but I mean they're very tactical with the way that they use uh, language and manipulate the narrative, and and the same thing applies to critical race theory, which we'll be talking about later. But the there the left's you know perfection of the language and control over words is really I mean in some ways it's the main issue that we're dealing with because we're dealing with everything on their playing field. We're dealing with. Republicans playing defense and saying, no, it's you defunding the police, not us after, you know, it's clear. It's just so clear that that's not what's happening, you know, but, um, they, they're really good. And, and especially when you have pretty much 100% control over all the mainstream institutions, you can implement top to bottom any narrative that you want, you know, well, we're going to get to 2022 as well. And I have some advice for the Republicans, but the other big lie that's out there from the past week is all of a sudden Democrats have done a 180 and they say all along they've been for voter ID. I I hadn't seen this. Oh yeah. Stacey Abrams, you know, who was completely the other way has now come out and said, Oh yeah, we've always supported voter ID because if you, you know, going back to Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton perfected this. If you say the lie enough over and over and over again, it becomes the truth. Right. But we know we've got video where they were saying that, again, that tied to Jim Crow, the fact that you can get a free government ID with your picture on it so we know who's voting in these elections. That's common sense. Mm-hmm. That you know, we want as many Democrats and Republicans to vote. Yep. We want every eligible voter to vote. And we don't want uneligible voters to vote. Exactly. I mean, is that wrong? No. I've got, I mean, obviously it's not, but the issue is that uneligible voters or you know, people voting twice or dead people voting, yeah. it statistically goes in the Democrats' favor. So that's why they're opposing all these things. All right. So well, wh- why did she say that? I'm curious. Why did she say it? Yeah. I have it? no idea why she said it, but she did say it. Oh, okay. Yeah. In fact, we can look it up. You can drop in a little audio sure. clip right here. You could accept this compromise, what Joe Manchin laid out, even if voter ID was part of it. That's one of the fallacies of Republican talking points that have been deeply disturbing. No one has ever objected to having to prove who you are to vote. It's been part of our nation's history since the inception of voting. We'll see. Because the tape is out there. How much time I have. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I've got a lot more on my plate, and then we're going to get to critical race theory here. Uh, We've dealt with uh, the lies about defund the police and voter ID. You who listen to this podcast, you know what the truth is and what we need to do uh, moving forward. Uh, What we do to support our police is Hero Fund USA. And we've had Daryl Smith on this podcast before. um, And I understand that Hero Fund USA is going national now. So way to go, Daryl Smith. But it started as a small organization in Blue Springs. It's there to supplement what cities are doing for uh, their police departments, their fire departments, EMS, which I know is part of fire departments. Um, But if you're local to Kansas City and you play golf, there is still room for you on Wednesday, July 21st. uh, It's the first ever Mulligans and Music Golf Tournament. So get your foursome together. Uh, They're playing in Smithville, Missouri. 
Um, you can read all about it on the Hero Fund website, herofundusa.org. And after you embarrass yourself on the golf course, uh, then everybody's going to come into the clubhouse. There's going to be a little acoustic concert. Not just uh, Noe Palma, who organized the whole thing, but Travis Marvin, good longtime friend of the program. Tate Stevens, another longtime friend of the program. It's going to be three of them, and they're going to do a concert after it. It is Wednesday, July 21st, and all that money raised, Kurt, goes to buy things for police, fire, and EMS, like body armor, drones, upgraded communication, fire bunker gear and breathing apparatus, thermal imaging cameras, cancer-reducing hoods, uh, all things like that. And then in the event of, which is happening far too often, once is far too often, uh, but in the event of a tragedy in that community, uh, they step in and they help the family out with expenses as well. Yep. So. And that was, that was a great interview. I was, I, I think one of our best interviews was, was when we, uh, we had the guy in from here on USA. So they, they're doing great work. They and, definitely uh, are. Yeah. If you like playing golf or if you're like me and you just like drinking beer and, and listen to and, music and sometimes right. and, uh, drinking beer on the golf course, then, uh, Go check it out. And I don't know when the tournament's going to be over, but Noe said that uh, they're going to open it up uh, for people to come after the golf. Um, it's an 8 a.m. shotgun start, so however long that takes to get all these foursomes through. Mm-hmm. But you can come for the music afterwards. All they're asking is for a small donation to uh, Hero Fund USA. Mm-hmm. So all the details at herofundusa.org. It's a great uh, organization, and we're proud to uh, support them both on KFKF and the Dale Carter's America podcast. So after Joe gets out of his meeting with the police chiefs and the mayors, he's got a lot on his plate because now he's going to go door to door. Have you heard about this? He's going to go door to door and get people to take the uh, yeah. COVID-19 vaccine. I posted a meme about it on the Facebook page. I saw that. <laughs> um, so w- w- what do you think about that, about the government? Because we already know that the governor of Missouri um, has said – we really don't want that. It, yeah. it will not be welcome in the state of Missouri for you to send people door to door. We're we're getting to a, I think a flex point where everyone, including me, who wanted the vaccine, mm-hmm. and I say over and over till I'm blue in the face, I hate the fact that it's become politicized because when President Donald Trump, the Republican, was talking about it, I was all on board, and even though we had a Democrat in the White House, I was still on board. My doctor recommended it, so I got the uh, Moderna vaccines. But I think we're coming to a flex point where everybody who wanted it has gotten it. Yeah, I think pretty much we're, we're, we're there. We may have already been there for a couple months at this point. But. And, you know, with people who have had it and survived and built up the antibodies, people who've gotten the vaccines, how in the world are we not at herd immunity? We, we have to be. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, I, I certainly think the, the idea of sending people door to door to try and you know, promote them to get the vaccine is not only not going to work, but it's probably going to make people less likely to get it. I mean, wasted effort. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about if you're on the fence and, you know, some government stooge shows up at your door to try and convince you to get it. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but if I was on the fence and and they showed up to my door, I'd be like, okay, well, I guess I'm not getting it, you know, buzz off. Well, Jen Psaki says it won't be government stooges. It won't even be the president. Oh, um, it won't be the president? No, oh, it man. won't be. It's going to be volunteers. On, it's going to be clergy. It's going to be, you know, people you would trust in your neighborhood. <laughs> that came from Jen Psaki. Uh, well, I mean, the other the other part of it is, uh, and you kind of already alluded to this, but I think this is definitely not going to happen in certain states, like Missouri, for example. Right. 
you know, there's other fights that we're having over the constitutionality of certain state laws going against um, federal laws. You know, the the new Second Amendment uh, bill that was passed in Missouri comes to mind. But I think something like this is much more cut and dry, uh, where the the feds aren't really gonna have the sway to convince every state to allow this to happen. And I think you know, it's it's a little bit. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's exaggerated. I mean, I think. People are talking about it, but I don't really think it's going to happen. And if it does, it'll be in like New York and California and a couple other places. Yeah, where come on, man, yeah. get those blue states taking that vaccine. Let's <laughs> let's get on that. Come on, man. Um, all right, Jack. You know, you, you go into your <laughs> Joe Bidenisms, right? Yeah. Uh, pretty well, soon, I'm going to be saying was, malarkey. Yeah, the last year was what you what are you talking about, man? We go to a go go do a push up contest. All right, now it's time for me to pick on the Republicans. Um, CPAC happened over the weekend, the second CPAC uh, meeting. Uh, the first was in Florida. This one was in uh, Dallas. They took a straw poll with Donald Trump or without Donald Trump. With Donald Trump, overwhelmingly, he was the, the pick of CPAC, which is the reddest of the red meat eaters are at, at CPAC. Uh, without Donald Trump, interesting, it was uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. walked away with it. And then Donald Trump gave his speech yesterday. Did you see the Trump speech at CPAC? No, I didn't. Now, I I had mute on my television because I had a friend over and we were having a discussion. But I had uh, the TV on and I'm looking at the, you know the the supers that they put below it so that you can see certain dialogue like Donald Trump said that uh, this happened, that happened, and I knew any time he got close to the election was stolen, mm-hmm. they put up a disclaimer. Oh, Even God. Fox News put up a disclaimer. We, Kurt, I know you don't agree with me. We have got to get beyond this. If we do not get beyond this, we are we, the potential is there for a red wave to take back the House and the Senate in 2022. If we don't get over this, if we don't stop talking about this, there's a chance the Democrats could hold on. I just disagree, man. I mean that that's a losing strategy, my guy. I well, mean, do you like? Do you think that there was no foul play in the election? No, I, I completely do. But here's the de- and, and before we get to a bunch of emails from the left saying, "Oh God, he's one of them as well." What I have said all along is there were changes made for extraordinary reasons outside of the legislative process in certain states, and now those states are cleaning that up. And Democrats are crying foul, calling it Jim Crow, Jim Eagle, Jim Crow on steroids. Okay, we are. If we continue to relitigate what happened in 2020, it's going to cost Republicans in 2022. And if they nominate Donald Trump, I will vote for him. You will vote for him, but we will not win. Well, we're that's kind of two se- uh, two separate answers, I guess. So the the first thing is that we are sort of litigating what happened in the sense that some states are passing new voting laws, and that's great. True, but um. You know, that doesn't mean that to we... affect the future moving forward. Yes. But here's the reality that Republicans and conservatives are going to have to accept. Joe Biden is the president. Yeah, and the but Democrats those... are going to hold the White House until 2024. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive, though. Like you can say that you can point out the inconsistencies in the 2020 election, such as states changing their voting regulations unconstitutionally such as thousands of people voting twice there's now looking into georgia i believe a lawsuit or an investigation that's happening that could potentially according to some people that there was enough people 
that voted twice in two separate districts in Georgia that could have swung the state to Joe Biden. To um, Donald Trump. What's that? Oh, to Donald to, Trump. That could have, yeah, yeah that could have changed the, right. the outcome of the election. You know, we had dead people voting. We had right. unsolicited mail-in ballots. We had people taking ballots out in suitcases in the middle of the night in several states. So I think those things need to be talked about. We shouldn't move past that because if we just move past it and ignore it, then it's going to happen again. Okay, and, well, I think you and I are kind of saying the same thing because I agree with those states moving forward and cleaning up those election laws. But where my focus is is the fact that this agenda, if you can even call it an agenda, that the left has rolled out here with Joe Biden is not working. And the conservative ideas that we both believe in will work to move this country forward. And that's what we've got to focus on in 2022. And sending the clown car out there with Donald Trump at CPAC, and he did all the things that you know he will do. There was the whole pointing at the fake media in the back and all that. Love it. You love it. It's red (laughs) meat for CPAC. There are people in the middle who don't love that. And those people in the middle, if they go the other way, we are going to lose. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I believe that, man, because we've been... Watch it. (laughs) We've been been losing. Well, let me... Case in point. Case in point. The Georgia special elections for the Senate. There were two chances in a red state, deep red state, to hold the Senate. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump went down there, and I prayed to God that when he got there, he would just talk about conservative principles and how important it was to hold the Senate. He went down there, and it was all about Donald Trump. Right. All about Donald Trump. And we lost them both. I do agree with that. I mean, I do agree with that in a sense that— the Georgia Senate races, you know, he made it about himself and not about the candidates that were running. He's in incapable Georgia. of making it about the bigger picture. Incapable. I'm not sure about that. I mean, I think there's no evidence that shows that in a three hour Donald Trump speech, he does not make it about himself. Yeah, but I mean, every politician talks about themselves. He, he also talks about the voters. He also talks about the movement. He, I mean, I didn't watch this particular speech, but you know, uh, going off of going off of some of his other speeches. Well, I'm but telling no, you that for the good of the country, I'm going to vote for the Republicans because I think that's the smarter play here. That conservative principles are the way to go, and I'm going to vote for whoever the Republicans nominate. I just you know restate that I hope it's not Donald Trump. I hope it's DeSantis. You know, I hope it's. Um, I think DeSantis would be great. I do too. Yeah. I hope it's Tim Scott. Based I mean, on what we've seen so far, I I, no, I don't know about Tim Scott, but okay, <laughs> DeSantis would be great. There are a lo- Here's the deal, though. <laughs> Joe Biden again. Here's the deal. I think the bench on the Republican side is very deep, mm-hmm. and on the Democrat side, it was so thin that they nominated Joe Biden and put Kamala Harris, who could not break one percent in the Democratic primaries. Mm-hmm. That's how thin their bench is. Yeah, The Republicans have a very deep bench. But don't, I mean, you want to know what the Democrats' wet dream is? The Democrats' wet dream is that Donald Trump comes back. Mm-hmm. See, you know, MSNBC and CNN, they are, their wet dream is for Donald Trump to come back. I'm looking at the bigger picture moving forward on conservative principles that are going to save this country and, and not any one person. It's not the messenger it's the message. I mean, I, I sort of agree with you, but I think you're maybe contradicting yourself a little bit, if, if I may, because we have to be confident. We have to be strong and I courageous. I am confident. <laughs> I know, but, but the thing is, like, we, we can't give up on a particular message when we know that it's right. Like, for example, 
there, I don't think there's anything wrong. And I think that it's important to continue to point out the inconsistencies in the 2020 election. That is what is leading to these voting laws in various states like Georgia. If it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for Donald Trump making noise about it, if it wasn't for people talking about it, then there would be no impetus to pass those laws and there would be no motivation moving forward to make sure that that doesn't happen again. You have to make light of issues and that that's the same thing for critical race theory. It's the same thing for uh, the budget or for, you know, Cuba or all these other things that we're talking about. You have to talk about them. You have to promote a strong conservative agenda moving forward so that we can do things right. Just like you said, just like you said, and we're losing because we're not doing that. We're losing because we're on the defense. We're losing because we're letting the left determine the ground that we play on. We're letting them determine. And as far as even as far as Fox News, which is not necessarily left, but we're letting them dictate the the uh, the playing ground by saying, you know, oh, right. but by putting a trigger warning on all this kind of stuff, you know, okay. so we need strength. Well, you know, if we agreed on everything, one of us would be irrelevant. So you've stated your case. I've stated mine. And we'll see what happens. Sure. And maybe we'll put some money on, you know, what happens in the 2022 <laughs> midterm. I don't have that much Speaking money, of 2022, so. Mitch McConnell has made a pledge that he's not there to block everything. This is the pitch for Republicans taking the Senate back. He's not there to block everything. He's there to hold Joe Biden to the moderate uh, platform that he ran on and not block everything that comes out of the White House if the Republicans take control again in uh, 2022. So I think that's a good message because I think the Democrats have made a lot of hay with and really, it was logical if you think about it. Um, when Mitch McConnell came out and said his goal, his end goal was to make Barack Obama a one-term president. Mm-hmm. That is the goal of the other party. Mm-hmm. But I think he stated it, and maybe he's taking some of your advice and trying to have a more nuanced approach to it and and say, you know, we're not here to block everything. We're just here to block the nutty stuff that they come through with, the, the way, way left stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think as we've – seen through what we've talked about on the podcast i think that's most of it probably but you know it might be most of it but honest honest to god this is not a red jersey blue jersey kind of a thing at least in my in my uh, way of thinking i'm for america mm-hmm. i want america to do well mm-hmm. and if gas prices were a dollar 79 now like they were in missouri and kansas when donald trump was there yeah I'd be, uh, well, what he's doing might be working. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's a dollar more a gallon now mm-hmm. tells me that it's not working, that inflationary prices are through the roof, that people won't get off their ass and get a job. I mean, what's happening now is not working. I am for America, and if what Joe Biden was promoting moved America forward, number one, I'd be shocked, uh, but number two, <laughs> I'd be for it because I'm for America. Right, of course. You want it to do well. Okay, two more things. I know you're itching to get to CRT here. There's two things that kind of tie together. Uh, we had our very first African-American winner of the spelling bee. Mm-hmm. Never happened before. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I can't remember the last time a white American 
won the spelling bee. Right. <laughs> it, it just does not because you because I do the story every year. Yeah. And it's usually somebody with an Indian name that's got like sixteen letters in it, and they need to buy a vowel somewhere. Right. They, right? They're good at spelling because they have to spell their last name exactly. <laughs> so it, of course it was a big story that the first first the first uh, African American won the spelling bee, and I I celebrate that. I think that's awesome. That's amazing. And then versus the Missouri congresswoman, and you put up the meme on this on the uh, Facebook page, who, you know, says the 4th of July, what did she say again about she the 4th of July? She said the 4th of July is for white people and black people still aren't free. Black people still aren't free. This from this is Cori Bush, by the way. From one 435th of the United States House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not black. I'm a white guy, Okay. But if I were black, I would think that I would celebrate my own success and say to my fellow people of color, this is the way. Mm-hmm. You know, follow what I did. Yeah. America's a great place. You know, it's a dream that can come true for anyone. The words of Martin Luther King. Not, you know, hey, I've achieved this. There are so many. Maxine Waters comes to mind, you know, who has million-dollar homes mm-hmm. and yet trashes Everything around them. Yeah. You know, you are under the thumb of the white person and right. you will never make it. Right. Meanwhile, she's in her million dollar house. Right. Which one's true? Well, I mean, obviously the first one is true. The the fact that that uh Cory Bush is a member of Congress having not really had any public service experience, the fact that she is verified on Twitter with, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people following her. And the, pa- the fact that people take her seriously when she says dumb shit like this, I mean, yeah. is, is is pretty uh, evident that the problem that she is pointing to doesn't exist. And, you know, I think it's very uh, selfish and ignorant and short-sighted of her to, to make a statement like that from such a high um, place of public uh, regard. The United States of America had a black president for eight years. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't agree with him on policy, but... I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, you know, we there are a, it's a big melting pot. This country, people come from everywhere to this country. And we should just set race aside and be Americans. I mean, that's my dream. I don't think we'll ever get there in my lifetime, but that's my dream. Let's set race aside and be Americans, for God's sake. Okay, critical race theory. Speaking of all that, my my view on this, and, and you come from an educational background, but but my view on this is this is something they tried to sneak through the back door, and all of a sudden it got the light of day. Parents are the ones who are leading this, saying, do not do this to my children. And I think that's where we are. I think it's, it's basically going to die on the vine because parents have gotten a wake-up call. I'd like to start here. What do you think critical race theory is? Like, how would you define it? Well, first of all, you know, I've got a history background myself. I've got a degree in history and political science. And from the earliest time I can remember when we had history classes in school, we talked about the Civil War. We talked about slavery. We talked about the Jim Crow era. We talked about Reconstruction. I mean, so those things are being taught. Mm -hmm. So my view of critical race theory is it's taking young kids who – a black kid and a white kid might play on the playground together with no idea that they're not supposed to like each other. Right. And within the framework of critical race theory, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to like you. Right. And it just it, it fans the flame of racism and gets us further away from my dream, not closer. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right in pointing out that we have, uh, for a long time at least, been taught in school about you know slavery and the civil rights movement and things like that. I think what separates critical race theory is this idea that we need to uh, have a reckoning on race. You know, like that white people are to blame. Uh, that uh, the oppression against blacks. You we know, had a reckoning. For, it was called the Civil War. Right. Accounts for all disparity and things like that. And it's being taught to elementary school kids and it's being indoctrinated uh, into our teachers. And the I, I want to go through a couple things here, but the, the left is being very clever in the way that they're phrasing this. Because now that the debate has broken out, right, about critical race theory, there's uh, parents in Loudoun County, Virginia, and across the country, but no, most notably in Loudoun County because they got the cops called on them. I don't know if you saw this uh, did. a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yes. Um, they had to shut down the, the meeting. Who pays your salary? Shame on you. What had been planned as a typical school board meeting in Virginia's wealthy Loudoun County this week devolved into pandemonium. Shame on you! Shame on you! With hundreds of parents flooding an auditorium to accuse the school system of teaching their kids that racism in America is structural and systemic something the school board denies is part of the curriculum. Things got so heated that the board members eventually walked out, leaving the police to deal with the unruly crowd. Two people left in handcuffs. Loudoun County School Board has been roiled for months by accusations that it has embraced critical race theory, a school of thought that maintains that racism is ingrained in U.S. law and institutions and that legacies of slavery and segregation have created an uneven playing field for black Americans. The Loudoun School System says it is simply training teachers, the majority of whom are white, to be culturally responsive to serve the county's increasingly diverse student population. But there's all this all this uh, positioning going on, and there's people now on the left saying, oh, well, critical race theory doesn't really exist. You know, we're just, people are just teaching about the history of race in our country, and it's not what they say it is. So there's lots of different names that you could put to this thing, but it definitely is happening. And I can say from experience, which I'll get into in a second, that it's definitely happening. Um, but it's happening all across the country. So if you look at a few examples, I mean, an elementary school in Cupertino, California, recently forced a class of third graders to deconstruct their racial identities and then rank themselves according to their power and privilege. This is third grade in nice. California. In Buffalo, they're teaching uh, based on their <laughs> public schools diversities are. That's a great uh, title, don't you think? They're teaching that America is built on racism that all Americans are guilty of implicit racial bias and uh, that America's sickness leads whites to believe that blacks are not human. That's what they're teaching ridiculous. in Buffalo. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Um, Arizona Education Department encourages talking to babies about racism, says three months old can be racist. <laughs> I have a three-month-old grandson. I'm going to see him in a couple of weeks. Should well, I make tell sure him you have that conversation, Dale. I'm going to. I'm going to say, Benjamin, you're a racist. Yeah, and it's actually closer to home, too. So there's there's a couple examples, and then I'll get to my story. Um, but in Springfield, Missouri, recently, they held a diversity training program that forced teachers to locate themselves on an oppression matrix and watch a video of George Floyd's death. This well, that was tragic, and we've talked about that on this show, but my God, 
Really? Yep. This is in uh, this is in Springfield, Missouri, and they have this thing that they I've seen this too in the the program that I went through that I'll talk about here in a second. But they have this kind of chart where it has overt white supremacy and covert white supremacy that they're indoctrinating our teachers with. The document claims that lynching, hate crimes, KKK, neo Nazis, and burning crosses are quote socially unacceptable forms of white supremacy. While education funding from property tax, colorblindness, calling the police on black people, BIPOC, black indigenous people of color as Halloween costumes, not believing in the experiences of BIPOC, tone policing, and white silence are socially acceptable forms of white supremacy. Can I, I let me just stop you for a second because this is it's very troubling. We have issues in this country in dealing with countries like China and Russia and India. And if we don't get our education system back on track and start teaching kids math and science and Mm -hmm. literature and all of the things that, you know, used to make education great in this country, Mm -hmm. we're going to fall so far behind we will never catch up. That's exactly right. It's not about the different races in the United States. It's about China and Russia and India and competing and not falling behind. Well, yeah, and and it's it's not about – the different races in the United States. It's about increasing uh, student outcomes just as, you know, just as a, a general goal. It doesn't have to be competing against China or India or Russia or anything, but we definitely want our kids to be as smart as possible because they're the future of our country. So it's By kinda... the way, somebody uh, mentioned this to me and I'm going to pass it along that, that a really good movie for everybody to watch to sort of get how races can work together is Remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. That's a good movie. That is a great movie. That came out of your neck of the woods there in, in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I remember it myself because I think I've told this story on the podcast that when I came out of my Catholic grade school, and I'm going to deal with this in my book that I'm writing, mm-hmm. which doesn't have a title yet, but will, and we'll start promoting the hell out of it on this podcast. When I came out of Catholic grade school, I'd only been around one black person, mm-hmm. and she was adopted by one of the Catholic families that mm-hmm. I went to grade school with. When I went to that inner city high school and I went onto the practice field as a minority, right. <laughs> um, remember the Titans hit close to home for me. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Uh, after we got past all that, we were not black and white. Mm-hmm. We were scarlet and gray. Mm-hmm. And that's what this country needs to be. We need to be red, white, and blue mm-hmm. and, and not deal with all this racial crap. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen as long as this is continuing to be taught to our students and to our teachers. And I'd like to, if I if I may, give a little bit of a personal account yes, of this. That's because I was a public school teacher for a little while in the KC area. And we had a two-day diversity training seminar when I as onboarding for all full-time teachers. It was this program by this guy, Glenn E. Singleton, Uh, He is the founder of the Pacific Educational Group, and the program is called Courageous Conversations Beyond Diversity, okay? Now, I'm going to read a couple of snippets from from an an article that he wrote. Perhaps whiteism, not recognizing white as a dominating color, nor the unearned power and privileges associated with having white skin, having a sense of white entitlement and lacking awareness of the experience of and perspectives of non-white skin people is a condition that more white people must begin to recognize, understand, and acknowledge for the sake of us all. And that was pretty much the whole theme of the training, but it was two full days that we did this. 
and I, I went in and did a little uh, did a little bit of digging because you know this school district is not a uh, let's say it's not an affluent school district. It's a very poor Kansas area. City, Missouri school yes. district. Yes, it's it's a disaster. You'd be hard pressed to find worse school districts in this country than St. Louis or Kansas City. Yeah, I very- talked to the. Um, superintendent at the time of the Blue Springs School District, and I said, what would you do with the Kansas City School District if you were running it? Mm-hmm. He said he'd split it up and run it with as three different districts, absorb it into surrounding districts. Yeah. And we've seen that. What was the high school in Independence that was part of the Kansas City School District and then became part of the Independence School District? I don't know. There's uh, Truman. There's... No, Truman's always been Independence. Um, somebody's going to know it. Van Horn. Van Horn was in the Kansas City School District, and it was absorbed into the Independent School District. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they took down the metal detectors. They took down the barbed <laughs> right. wire and all this. Yeah. And actually, they used some of that metal to make bleachers for a football stadium. Oh, really? And now that school is thriving in yeah. the Independent School District. Mm-hmm. So what are the suburbs doing right that the inner cities are doing wrong? Well, they're certainly, I mean, arguably, they're not spending money on on this crap, you know, and... and uh, I won't get too far into the details of the training, but it was, uh, you know, we got, we got segregated by race. We had to give characteristics of whiteness and like basically crap on white people and all this kind of stuff. But I went afterward and did some digging and turns out that this, uh, this guy, Glenn Singleton is getting rich off of this as he might expect. Uh, Of course he is. There's always a money angle. I was (laughs) waiting for it. So this program, again, it's Glenn E. Singleton Pacific educational group. Uh, he's based out of San Francisco Here's some figures for you. So he has been hired for over for a total of 183 school districts in the country. 18 school districts reported paying his group a combined $1.56 million between 2014 and 2015. And here's some examples. Lawrence, Kansas, $125,000 for his two-day seminar. Osseo, Minnesota, $208,000. Nice. And down the list, the biggest one on this list is St. Paul, Minnesota, $369,000. So somebody's getting rich off this. And think about this. This is probably six figures. Now, they don't have Kansas City on here. But, I mean, if Lawrence is paying $125,000, you have to imagine that Kansas City is probably paying somewhere in that ballpark, right? This is $125,000 in a failing school district where... 100% of students are on free and reduced lunch. There's fights every day in the high school. People are bringing guns in the school. You know, there's problems with some of the teachers, as you might imagine, and things like that. And you have, you're paying this guy $125,000 to come in and say that nothing is their fault, that it's all basically white people's fault, that America's racist, and that there's nothing you can do to escape poverty and oppression. If it's only that simple, you know, white people, you just need to leave. How about that? Yeah. And and you've probably heard, have you heard of Robin DiAngelo? She's another not. one. So she's the author of this book, White Fragility, which is kind of the big um, starting point of this whole movement. She charges on average $12,000 for a two-hour session. And this article uh, very cleverly points out that DiAngelo's fee for a speaking event is more than a quarter of the annual median income for black families, which is just over $40,000. So in one day, she could potentially make about half of the annual median black income. You know, what gives me hope here is that parents are starting to see all this crap and call it for what it is. 
Recall elections on school boards are yeah. through the roof. Absolutely. People are looking at their charters going, how do we get rid of this? And in Blue Springs, I mean, we spent more time looking at the school board candidates. And unfortunately, everyone who ran for school board was left of center. Mm-hmm. And the two who won, because here's what happens in school board elections, the people with the highest name recognition win. Right. I mean, that happens in a lot of races, but definitely school board. So the person with the most signs out is going to win. Mm-hmm. And the two who had the most signs out uh, were both endorsed by the NEA. Mm-hmm. And that's, and the NEA is endorsing critical race theory. They are, and now they're trying to back away from it as well. They're saying they're doing the same thing that Ibram X. Kendi and uh, the, the left generally, and there's a couple examples. I'll drop a clip here of uh, somebody, I believe it was on MSNBC, or one of these networks denying that, you know, we're teaching critical race theory in schools. So I think we have to be clear about the definitions. It's really important. And what you're hearing now is a debate supposedly over critical race theory, but that's not actually what we're debating. Critical race theory is, in, in a lot of ways, just a niche section of, uh, of academia that deals with kind of using laws, institutions, policies to understand how racism, how inequality, how discrimination has been perpetuated. It's been taught in upper level seminars, usually third year electives in law schools. But certainly my children are not learning Kimberly Crenshaw, Derek Bell, Imani Perry and the like in their public school educations. We absolutely are. Now, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it critical race theory. You can call it white privilege. You can call it um, revisionist history. You can call it the 1619 Project. But it is being taught to our teachers. It is being taught to our students. This one program alone that I went through is in 183 school districts in the country. It's being mandatorily taught and indoctrinated to our teachers and then through the teachers being taught in the classroom. And I have to say, I have to give a shout out here to this one guy. There's there's this one guy that's been really on the forefront of pointing out all this stuff. His name is Christopher Rufo. And if you're on Twitter, go check out his Twitter page. It's just endless examples of just racist BS revisionist history being taught in our public schools. And so for anyone who says that this is not happening in school, it's happening to kindergartners. It's happening to third graders. It's happening to all of our teachers. Well, you said babies, three-month-old babies. Babies, babies. yeah. Well, can I just say here, and, and I do respect you know, what you did as a teacher. I respect teachers everywhere. But the ultimate teachers of our kids are parents. Yes. That's where the buck stops. Yes, absolutely. So when your kid comes home, and you need to be involved as a parent of a school-age kid. I don't have them anymore. Uh, but you know, if you've got a school-age kid – know what's going on at that school and be the ultimate teacher and set them straight. And you know what, man? I mean, I think it's it's, it's going to take maybe even more than that. I mean, I think it's going to take more parents not sending their kids to public school. Well, that's and true. The The future is, is uh, vague. You know, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but that's certainly my plan when I have kids is to not take, not send them to public school. Well, let me ask you the, the big question that, that is just burning in my mind right now. I'm a huge fan of Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. All right, you kind of got a Patrick Mahomes head thing going on here today with it's your not hair all bunched up with a headband and all that. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes has a white mother and a black father. Mm-hmm. So when I'm cheering for Patrick Mahomes, as I'm going to do, because I'm true blue, red Chiefs fan here, mm-hmm. um, do I just clap with one hand? Do I just celebrate you know, his black father and forget about his just white clap, mother? Just clap with your black hand. Is that, well, I don't know that I can do that. Uh, but that's that's kind of the burning question here. But uh, hey, that's silly, and people are going to jump on that. But but I get back to what I believe, and what I believe is we're on the same team, white, black, yellow, brown, 
any other color of the rainbow, any hue that you can come up with, as long as you're on my team, you're an American. Right. And I think I think we both agree on that. I think um, you know, where I would make a distinction is just that that's not the reality of what's happening. You know, and we need I to know. we need to uh we need to really push back on this stuff and and it's not it's not enough to just say, "Oh, well, I'm not a racist, you know. Oh, I don't believe in this. I like everybody." You know, I mean, that that should go without saying. That should be that should, that well, should if be, enough people practice it, this will go away, and this will be yeah, kind of. Yeah, I'm not sure though because I mean I think we do. I think America is the most diverse, and excuse me, I think America is the most diverse and probably least racist country in the world right now. Right. Certainly in practice, certainly in in terms of how much of a melting pot we are as a society, and yet we're still being taught this. So it's not it, it's not enough to just you know, not be racist as in the words of Ibram X. Kendi, the, the author of the book, how to be an anti-racist, he will tell you himself, it's not enough not to be racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. You have to actively, um, acknowledge your white privilege. You have to actively, uh, you know, work to deconstruct your, your whiteness and all of these things. This is what they're teaching. And it's not enough to say, well, I don't believe in that you know, I like everybody the same. We have to push back against it and we have to push back against it hard. And that's why I really appreciate people like Ron DeSantis in Florida who came straight out and said, this will not be taught in Florida. You can say whatever you want. This will not be taught in Florida. And that's why, you know, like I said before, we need confident leadership moving forward in the Republican party. It's not enough to just say, I don't believe in this. We have to push back against it. Ron DeSantis, 24. Are you on the bandwagon? If he gets the nomination, I will very (laughs) enthusiastically support him. And on that note of agreement, this is Dale Carter's America. The views expressed on Dale Carter's America are Dale's and Kurt Wheeler's. They do not necessarily reflect the views of KFKF or Steel City Media. Comments can be sent to dalec at kfkf.com. Thanks for listening. Check back every week for new episodes.